Hey everyone, Eric Renya here, and welcome to the 32nd episode of the RIT Podcast. The conservative leadership race has not officially started yet. We don't know what will be the requirements for entry or when it will all be over, but we do already have a few names circulating and one definite candidate in Ottawa-area MP Pierre Poiliev. This is the third conservative leadership race in five years. Back in 2017, when I was hosting the pollcast at the CBC, I was joined throughout that leadership campaign by Tim Powers and Chad Rogers. We had a lot of fun breaking down that contest that was eventually won by Andrew Scheer. In 2020, when Aaron O'Toole became leader, the pollcast was gone, but now in 2022, it's time to get the band back together. Chad Rogers is a founding partner at Crestview Strategy, and Tim Powers is chairman at Summa Strategies. Hey guys, good to see you again. Good to be back with you, uh, Eric, and good work you're doing here on the RIT. We'll see. We'll see if we won't uh, sink it for you. Hopefully, you'll you'll continue to grow. And I'm a subscriber, right? I so I, I waited, yes, to get invited. 32 episodes in, but I was a subscriber for episode one. So am I. Don't make me out to be cheap. I My God, I when Eric, when you got a Newfoundlander and a Prince Edward Islander giving you money, you must be doing something right because usually we're taking it. I had to work out the kinks over the first 31 episodes before we got here. So um, so before we talk about the conservative leadership race, I think that we probably should at least mention what's happening right now with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, obviously, it's uh, disturbing, uh, distressing, distressing news to see. Um, I don't know if either of you have any comments on you know, what it means, what it means for people here in Canada. Chad, if you have anything, uh, anything you might want to say? If, if I mean, it, it's tragic that people are going to die and be victimized and lose their homes because Russia doesn't respect the basic rule of law. If it has a, a nexus with conservatism, much of the f- true fringe of right-wing populism is secretly paid for by Russia as a, as a matter of chaos. And we have seen in some of the real garbage people who've come forward in conservative campaigns like Faith Goldie, who like to conflate a pro-Russianism and a notion of a great Orthodox Christian heritage. There's a whole mythology built around it that creeps in around the ultra far right fringe. Uh, We saw that in in recent races. We certainly see it south of the border having completely taken hold where there is now an an element of pro Russophilism uh, in, in the fringe of the conservative movement. I hope that uh, conservatives who are members who are forced to account in this upcoming Canadian conservative race are forced to say, no, I am not for the people who invade democratically elected countries. Um, that, that'll be something I'll watch for in the fringe of, of where the two come together. But, um, you know, as someone who's monitored elections and worked with democratic activists all over uh, Eurasia and the former Soviet Union, I'm just sad because a bunch of my friends are going to, uh, you know, lose their homes or maybe lose their lives. Yeah. Tim, anything you want to add to that? I, I can't add more more weight to that other than to say it is sad to see after the um, couple of years that we've had to now see arguably a greater threat than the pandemic uh, and what we certainly most more significant threat than we went through in Ottawa to see this playing out in Europe. I think I heard uh, someone say uh, earlier today that this is the biggest threat to global peace in 80 years. Time will tell if that is true, but um, it is certainly something that we all ought to be mindful of and and think of the real lives, as Chad has spoken about, that are impacted right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, certainly not not good news today. Um, And, you know, this is a podcast that's about uh, elections and democracy. So uh, to see this happening is obviously uh, quite a sad day. But 
We'll do a hard turn, talk about democracy here in Canada. And one of those democratic races is the contest for the conservative leadership. Uh, as I mentioned, we don't know yet exactly what all the rules will be, but we do have one name, Pierre Poilievre, who came out really a few days after Aaron O'Toole was uh, booted out from the conservative uh, leadership position and said that he was running. He lined up a lot of endorsements behind him. And at this stage, seems like the front runner, although technically he's the only runner, so that puts him right in front. Um, but just uh, starting with Poilievre and that launch, Chad, what did you think about how that went for him and 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 you know, how this race is shaping up for Pierre Poliev. Well, I, I'd say there's an unofficial set of rules apply here when you jump in that early. And mm -hmm. those are the rules of primaries. And if, if we were south of the border in a primary system, the rule of primary is get in first and get big and scare off opponents. Um, I, I think um, the fact that Pierre took the risk of jumping in before we know the rules shows how serious he is. Um, but it's a strategically smart move uh, to gather ground, gather organizers, because there's something I, I feel the need to bring up that isn't in regard to Pierre, but is something we all need to root ourselves in whenever we discuss by-elections or leaderships. By-elections are not general elections. Mm -hmm. Leaderships are not general elections. They don't behave the same. And the commentariat and the folks who sit on the outside of those uh, events particularly non-conservatives sit outside of leaderships and think it is very easy to apply the same math as a general. It is not true because only people who are interested in paying and showing up and doing the work matter, not the, the mean of general opinion. So Pierre knows it's an activist race today. Uh, he gets in and says, I'm going to use that time while the more timid wait for the rules and try and be the biscuit that soaks up the gravy of all the free activists who aren't aligned with the campaign. And there is an unofficial honor in party leaderships that I know from experience applies to conservatives and liberals. I don't know if it applies to New Democrats or Greens. And that is whoever asks you first, uh, if you say yes, you have to stick with them for the race, at least through the first ballot. Uh, and it's it's a, a bit of a, a gentle person's code of honor in leaderships that people don't usually switch, even if later candidates come in, or at least not until successive ballots. So I think that, that Pierre banked on that. Uh, from the outset, so smart move, uh, you know, to the to the to the bold uh, fortune. Sorry, fortune favors the bold. Tim, yeah, I, I, I would be um, less erudite in describing it in the terms that uh, that Chad has, but he bigfooted everybody, and that, that certainly was his attempt to scare people out and get people engaged. And I think, as as Chad knows better than I, there's also a. a, a a new emerging class of young conservative activists who now want to assert themselves. And for many of them, Pierre is the candidate, The well, he's the only candidate, but he's likely to be the only candidate that they have some connection with. So there's also the aspirational hopes of a new generation of, of, of activists who want to jump on board. And I think he is playing into them. I think though, you know, Pierre has created some early challenges for himself. Um, Chad spoke eloquently earlier about um, 
people on the far right of the conservative party and elsewhere and having allegiances with uh, some of the pro-Russia stuff that is there. I'm not suggesting that as Pierre, but I don't think he helped himself nor the party uh, by uh, being as forceful in his embrace of the people that were here in Ottawa, whatever you, however you want to describe them. Now, there's some benefit to that in a leadership race because that the, those people are engaged. Can you get them in a traditional political system in a primary, as Chad rightly describes it? Um, uh, Pierre could be very much trying to play that card. The danger, of course, is one that doesn't work because a lot of these people, it seems, don't like democratic structures and institutions. So if that doesn't work, he still has that brand problem of being, as I can describe it, a convoy cheerleader. And that will not hurt him as much, perhaps in a conservative leadership race, but if he is successful in winning, uh, he will be dealing with that uh, as long as he's running against the Liberal Party of Canada. There's an expectation maybe with Aaron O'Toole that you know he was running in one direction during the leadership race and that he would make the pivot afterwards. And uh, he did, and it didn't go over very well for a lot of members, but can Poliev pull that off? Because for O'Toole, it did seem like he was wearing whatever suit seemed to be beneficial to him at the time. Whereas Poliev, this is kind of who he's been for a while. It, you know, maybe it's amped up a little bit over the last few months, but um, it does seem like it would be hard for him to be a different character, Chad, in the midst of a general election than what he is at least at this stage of the leadership campaign? Well, non-conservatives in Canada, meaning people who uh, have never voted conservative previously, at least in the modern era from 03 forward, mm -hmm. and would never take a membership in the party, are always very shocked to discover the conservative party actually believes in conservative things. So I, for anyone listening, consider that your trigger warning that I may actually <laughs> reveal that uh, the conservative party is conservative. Um, Pierre knows that. So if the party stays relatively the same size and configuration it is, Pierre is a bona fide conservative and, and, and unwilling uh, to compromise on that and willing to offend non-conservatives with his conservatism. So he comes in early, he, he bigfoots the race because he also looks like the party. Aaron O'Toole had to posit a massive fraud and propose uh, to broker a deal that he would start to become a conservative in exchange for the leadership and then betrayed everyone he did that deal with. Um, so, you know, remember the end of Aaron O'Toole's ignominious leadership isn't that he had a surplus of enemy, it's that he had a complete deficit of friends uh, because no one trusted him and no one liked him. Uh, and let's not forget, he's the only leader in recent memory since 2011, at least, to not achieve uh, basic fundraising success uh, and defer to the Liberals and lose ground in polls. So Aaron O'Toole leaves the party uh, weaker, uh, dumber, and less credible. Pierre comes in and says, let's stop apologizing for being a conservative. Uh, that, that's an interesting play. Now, if you're the counter to Pierre and you want to win, um, your proposition is, I'm going to make it bigger. We still have an opportunity to sell memberships. I want people who haven't seen themselves in the conservative coalition, and I'm going to make it bigger. But from leadership thinking, not general election thinking, remember, the opportunity cost on that is about a 2x on resources. Making a party bigger versus winning what's there is harder. It's not to say it can't be done, but it's a harder strategic play if that's your campaign plan. 
I think that brings us then to the rules of the race, right? Poliev, as you said, he jumped in not knowing what it would be, not caring because, you know, he he wants to win this. Um, but for some of the other candidates that we've heard talked about, and we'll get to each of them individually uh, later on, but might be waiting to see how long this race is going to be, how much money you have to raise, how many memberships do you have to sign up? Because the longer the race, the more opportunity you would have to sign up new members, the shorter it is the more you have to work with what's already on the table. So Tim, how much of a, how important will it be to know what the rules are before some of these candidates decide to actually run? If you're a serious candidate, they're not that important to be blunt with you. I mean, Pierre Polyev's made that, uh, that calculation. It looks like Jean Charest may make that calculation. And uh, I actually supported Jean Charest 29 years ago and Chad worked with Jean Charest. So we, we, uh, we don't have a bias, but we certainly have a, a long yeah, I know. Time. We were both children at the time. We were yes. both children at the time, as was he. He was young when he ran for the leadership. Anyway, to your question, I don't think it bothers serious candidates, uh, Eric, but where it matters is in who else might enter, because I think what we've seen in the two previous leadership races since the 2015 election is that when you have multiple candidates in a field in a ranked ballot system, which is likely to be the, the system again, um, anything can happen. Um, Sheer snuck through and won or held on and through a number of combinations with what, nine or 12 people that were in that race. O'Toole took down the then perceived front runner, Peter McKay by as Chad correctly described, uh, making deals with others that he didn't, they didn't believe he went forward on. So, the, 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 the rules matter for those who have another agenda that isn't necessarily winning or somebody who thinks if there are multiple players in the game, they have a shot. So that's where they matter. Neither Jean Charest nor Pierre Polyev, should they both officially enter, because just to correct you factually, it's weird for me to do that to you, Eric. There is no official candidate at the moment. So if they both do officially enter, I think money and organization will not be things that concern them. What may concern Mr. Charest, and may uh, he may be a final deciding factor, is length of the race. Because again, as as, as Chad would would know, he's, he's done more leadership races than I have. If you're a uh, if you're Pierre Polyev, you want a shorter race, likely, because you have the activist, you have the body, you have everybody lining up for you. If you're Mr. Sheree, you probably want a slightly longer race. So if this thing is done by the spring, which I doubt, that's a problem for some candidates and a serious candidate like Jean, potential candidate like Jean Sheree. So that's where I think the rules have application. Yeah, and obviously Poliev is a declared candidate. But yes, you're right. Yes. I know we want to be precise. You are yes. so good at being precise. <laughs> Chad, I don't know. I saw you nodding. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Just I, I agree with everything Tim said. The, the the couple of things that are different this time that, that we have to take into account. One is um, coming out of the Harper years, the party as an institution was powerful. Uh, yes. So the party made these decisions. And and you know, the the puppets sometimes of National Council had uh, the ventriloquist hand from uh, the PC, uh, sorry, the, the conservative fund mm -hmm. uh, uh, operating. And the fund had a very strong opinion in the old days about how things were gonna go. And the party's institution wanted long and slow and fair. 
We have a different party today in that the caucus is shockingly powerful, both because of the Reform Act, because of a successful spill vote, getting rid of O'Toole, um, because they had you know, a close to uh, number in the last two elections. We have a very unnaturally big opposition caucus with a lot of significant voices. And caucus, I think, is sending an unambiguous message to the party that they won't tolerate mm-hmm. long leadership, that they will not wait two years to get this done again. They want it done by Labor Day or sooner. So the real question is, when the party hires its organizer to go um, check on resources like convention halls and voting systems, is it June or August? Uh, I, I think we're in a narrower window here. That means if you're one of the candidates who says, I need to grow the party to win, um, the, the tighter timeline bias that I think is emerging would be very concerning, uh, where if you were running on the conservative base like Polyev, your risk of getting in earlier is a little bit more strategically informed. So I would, I would take that into account. The, the second is, is that um, O'Toole seriously weakened the party itself. Um, you know, the, the epic um, lion of the fund, Irving Gerstein, is now long retired. Uh, a former Patrick Brown and Aaron O'Toole functionary was installed uh, that, you know, I, I don't know that there would be incredible faith with, particularly after for the first time in 10 years, not beating the liberals in fundraising. Um, so I, I, I think um, I think we're seeing a party that's a little less sure of itself, uh, that, that is going to need to move quickly uh, so, that be, so that it doesn't tolerate too many stresses. But Can I just pick up on one thing there? Because Chad, Chad is on to something that is different this go around, and he, he nailed it. The caucus. It, uh, the, I, since the formation of the parties, going back to Chad said it's 203, 204, never have I seen uh, a potential leadership candidate like Pierre and his team ascribe to jump on the and utilize to his great effect, to his credit, the the apparent caucus interest in all of this and the desire for the caucus to have it earlier. Um, that That's fascinating because uh, another truism that I have seen in the Conservative Party over the last uh, 17, 18 years since it's been in existence, with maybe a handful of exceptions, the caucus is generally, sorry, guys and gals, useless, useless when it comes to organizing ridings on the ground. And uh, th- that culture, ha- it, it, it exists in some places, but again, it, this is about signing up members. So the caucus may want the most vocal, strongest performer in the House of Commons to be their leader and maybe pushing for that, uh, but if Pierre Polyev and his team are hoping that that same caucus is going to deliver voters in spades, they probably will be very disappointed, though Pierre does have people with him who know better. But it is important that the audience understands this caucus noise doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win, nor does caucus endorsements. Again, ask Peter McKay from the last go around. Caucus endorsements are uh, useful for about the one second they appear on whatever social media platform to say that that particular individual is standing with you. They're standing with you, but they aren't picking up the phones. They aren't necessarily working text and every other tool to go out and sign people up for you. Well, we did see some pseudo endorsements this past week with the letter that was written. Uh, asking Chad and I know Ray. all those guys who signed that letter. 
<laughs> I ran into one of them on a plane yesterday, so I got a bit of a download on what's going on. Well, perfect. But uh, so Jean Charest, you know, he has had that letter that came out. Uh, in a way, it almost it seems similar to when he was asked to come, you know, save the country in 1998 to go run for the Quebec Liberals to to beat Lucien Bouchard. Um, one of those people who signed letters, Alain Reyes, he's a good organizer in Quebec, so that he might be one of those people that could deliver a bit more than some other candidates. Uh, but, you know, we do see that uh, a lot of the Quebec wing, some of the people from Atlantic Canada, some uh, from uh, elsewhere, but primarily in that part of, of the country are seem to be trying to get Jean Charest into the race. Um, but is he the best vehicle for the non-Poliev wing of the party, the people who do not want Pierre Poliev? Well, is Jean Charest, Chad, is Jean Charest the answer? Well, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the yeah. answer will be who makes the most convincing argument on what the party should be and how we're going to get elected uh, in a future national election. Um, uh, I will say, I don't know that Premier Charest has ever been a member of the Conservative Party that exists legally today. Uh, so I think that that's a pretty big test of any candidate. Do you know the party? Have you ever been a member? I think we haven't mentioned a name. Um, Jean Charest isn't the biggest or even the second biggest candidate who would enter this race. The biggest or second biggest candidate to enter this race would be the mayor of Barrie, Patrick Brown. Uh, who is potentially preparing mm -hmm. a campaign, and he would instantly be five times more formidable than Premier Charest. Why? He's been a member of the party. He's one of the best organizers in the country. Uh, he is um, hardwired into ethnocultural organizing, uh, particularly among Southeast Asian Canadians who aspire to be conservatives or who are conservatives. Um, and he's wanted the leadership for some time. Additional uh, to that, if we want a little bit of insider gossip, remember the entire senior Aaron O'Toole team used to be called the Ontario Patrick Brown team. Uh, so many of the party officers who were in place, many of the folks who uh, were running Team O'Toole used to be called Team Patrick Brown. Now, despite the many financial and moral irregularities that surrounded his departure from the Ontario leadership, um, namely and, and explicitly explaining that it wasn't his fault an intern employed by him whom he had served alcohol and was in the bedroom of his home had kissed him first um, uh, over and above the reported financial irregularities that were never investigated. Patrick Brown is the most formidable organizer uh, who is contemplating getting in the race. And um, in a race of Pierre Polyev, Patrick Brown and Jean Charest, talking about Jean Charest is a waste of time. It's, well, it's really, it, it, can it, can, yeah, well, it, it, but I want to go back to your question to Chad first, then get into what Chad just said there. There is this, there's no unicorn candidate. I mean, there's always, who would be the best candidate? We're allowed to swear on podcasts, right? That's utter bullshit. There are no unicorns. They only exist in fairy tales. And I can tell you right now, the Conservative Party is no fairy tale. It's more like a horrific nightmare that we hope we'll wake up from and all will be fine. Um I, what's really interesting about what Chad said, and again, gets to the dynamics of a leadership race versus a general election. And this is not to insult either gentleman, but neither Patrick Brown nor Pierre Polyev, wherever, with a brief exception of Mr. Polyev towards the end of, of the Harper government, were never seen as A-team members themselves by uh, Stephen Harper. They never had senior cabinet roles. They never uh, had the, the positions of opportunity that say the Lisa Rates, the John Bairds, the Peter McKay's did. Now they're putting their hands up. Part of that was age. Part of that, there was a class ahead of them, but it's important to remember. So, But they're formidable organizers, as Chad points out. Then there is Mr. Charest, 
who, as I say, I have a, a good personal regard for, as does Chad, yeah, um, sure. who is being called upon. Part of the, the and Chad spoke about, highlighted a little bit a- earlier, the call for Mr. Charest is the call for, as I would describe it, grown-up, mature leadership. Now, that call may work exceptionally well, depending who Mr. Charest, if he were to win, would run against in a general election, but that call for grown-up leadership isn't necessarily seen and understood within the Conservative Party itself at the moment. So you have these weird dichotomies playing out where of the three names that Chad has just mentioned, Mr. Charest could be the better national candidate, though he too has baggage and questions still remain about uh, his role and connection to his investigations in Quebec. Uh, around the construction industry. So they all have baggage, but Jean Charest fits that grown-up leader model. But is that the call and the appeal that will work with the the Federal Conservative Party at the moment? Mr. Charest's opportunity could be, uh, as it was for Andrew Scheer, and almost prove uh, is Quebec, right? It's always that Quebec question. Can he, Chad knows this better than I, just because once... I mean, can can he deliver in Quebec? Can Alan Reyes deliver in Quebec? Can they get the points there that work? But anyway, I'll stop with Chad. No, no, no. I just want to build on one of Tim's excellent points, which is that there's a Quebec divide and, yeah. and a wedge. And an Eastern Canadian divide. Yeah, they, they, we can go to that next and I defer okay. you on it. But on the, on the Quebec divide, there's a Bill 21 wedge in the Conservative yep. Caucus that was unspoken for about two years and was a very uncivil piece. Uh, it broke out where... The, of the National Conservative Caucus, the Quebec Caucus and the rest of Canada Caucus believe two different things about Bill 21. And the emergence of the Sheree candidacy of Alan Reyes of others has a lot to do with the divide in the National Conservative Caucus over Bill 21. So uh, I'll, I would be very curious to see in a Sheree candidacy how he manages Bill 21. Mm-hmm. Because if your proposition is Bill 21 is fine, you are running against the mainstream view of the Conservative Party right now, and you will have to build a support base uh, that draws in a majority of new members uh, to win. Uh, if that issue still has currency, and frankly, I believe it will, um, so, so that for me is a is a huge question, and and I think maybe creates a little bit of the origin story of where the uh, Shari needs to run, because the Quebec caucus members weren't prepared to go uh, based on that divide alone. Other than that, I mean, let, let's I, I'm I'm minimizing the Shari campaign out of the gate in light of the other two from an organizational lens. In, in skipping past that, you know, I didn't mention it's an honor for a former premier of Quebec mm-hmm. and former federal cabinet minister to say they want to run for leadership of the Conservative Party. It signals the party is not limited or anti-Quebec. It signals the party is not a narrow tent. Uh, so I, I don't mean to demean growth. And in leaderships and in by-elections, we always take a more reductive view. And we forget that growth can sometimes change the shape of races. Obama would not have won his campaign uh, with their bold design to add more voters and win, absent that decision. And that, from the outset, looked like uh, the less sure play. Well, it, I mean, you bring up something that I have always thought when it comes to Jean Charest, um, that, you know, you say that, I know you were maybe being a bit hyperbolic, but to say, you know, that he he is talking a lot about Jean Charest is, is going to be a bit of a waste of time in, the, in terms of deciding who's going to be the leader. I've had a lot of difficulty understanding why some conservatives feel Jean Charest is an answer 
uh, he, he wasn't that popular in Quebec. He lost the last election he was in. Uh, there was a poll I saw just a couple of years ago asking about how Quebecers felt about past uh, leaders and other political figures. And Jean Charest's numbers weren't very good. I, and I don't see the path for him within the party itself. So I guess my question for either of you, if one of you wants to pick it up, is why does a portion of the party think that he is going to be successful? Because I have a hard time imagining a race that ends up with Jean Charest winning. There are people who, in, inside of parties, everyone is locked in history yes. with the first leadership they were significantly involved with. And most of the current generation of older conservatives, 93 was the biggest race uh, they will have ever participated in and was the meaningful one. And there is a generation of old progressive conservatives who are still locked in a very romantic struggle in their mind of what happened in 93 and 95 with Share and have a special bond to a memory of Share and how he was ill-served and betrayed uh, more than once in the 93 race and then in the 95 referendum uh, for his role and his occasional particularly gifted campaigning and oratory in those two windows. And there would be a constituency of thousands of conservatives now graying considerably who would have a very romantic uh, sense of that. And that's part of the kernel of this. There is also a broader group of people who have kept their membership in the Conservative Party, who've continued to be conservatives, but who are deeply offended by the Conservative Party being conservative and continue to hold out hope that Fern Roberge and the gang at the Ritz are going to find another candidate that's acceptable to the Toronto Star editorial board and not so odiously conservative. Um, that group also loves this idea and will uh, reach for it with the last ounce of their being. You know, I agree, I agree with the romanticism. I, I think there is certainly some truth or a good degree of truth to what Chad is talking about. And again, as I said earlier, Chad and I know a couple of the signatures or all of, well, yeah, I know four or five of the signatures to that letter. And they, the, the, the one that's appeared at La Presse, I believe it was. And I, as I say, I talked to one yesterday and there is, uh, this is a person Chad and I both respect significantly, who's fought very hard for conservatives in, in many battles, including losing battles in regions where it was hard to get conservatives elected. There is that affinity to 1993, but there's also a connection to now in the differences in conservatism across the country. Um, we have three progressive conservative governments in Atlantic Canada who arguably are pretty pragmatic uh, who arguably are a version of what Aaron O'Toole was trying to bring to the rest of the country, but it's harder to do it. I mean, you know our region very well. Where Chad and I come from, it conservatism still has very much a progressive streak to it and a very pronounced progressive streak to it. And you're not too far away from where liberals sit. You're seeing those conservatives too, who still want a seat at the table, who lost when Peter McKay was unsuccessful, want uh, to be part and parcel of this exercise. They they welcome Jean Charest. And I do think beyond all of what Chad and I have said, there is an element of the party that does recognize that there, there is a time for grown-up leadership in, in Canada. And if he is the one so-called grown-up uh, that enters the race, that may have some appeal whether they can put that water in the wine of their conservatism, 
uh, is to be determined. Uh, so there are a variety of, of reasons why the charade candidacy appeals. I've had liberals reach out to me, which again is telling, which probably now will bleed votes away from Mr. Charade. So I'm sorry, Jean, for that. But, you know, they would like to see charade because they have a comfort. If red were suddenly turned to blue, they have a comfort with all of that. That will make the skin crawl of some of the people who would support uh, Pierre Polyev at the moment. So if Mr. Shure does enter, he's a smart man. He's an able man. He, as Chad says, he would have an uphill battle. Uh, he's not to be underestimated. And he's going to have to address that head on about why you didn't have a membership. Why are, are you really conservative? Are you simply looking to fulfill an ambition that wasn't fulfilled 29 years ago when you lost to Kim Campbell and could have been the Canadian prime minister? Again, he's smart. He's able. Uh, he's not unaware of the hill he would have to climb and uh, the fight he would have on his hands with many who would not view him as uh, an acceptable leader of the Conservative Party. For, for a future deep nerd discussion, I would like <laughs> to say I'm starting a campaign to remove the misuse of progressive in the yeah, fair enough, yeah. in remembering that progressive was part of the Bracken compromise mm -hmm. and was a prairie party fixated with eugenics. And that's what it means to be progressive conservative is to be pro um, uh, the prairie social gospel and eugenics. Um, but we've morphed it into something else. But that's a fight. That, that's a nerd fight for a future day. Look, Eric, you've relaunched with unicorns and eugenics. This is going to be a hit, buddy. Yeah, now that's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, so we, we did talk about Patrick Brown. Uh, if he does actually run in, in the race, maybe then we can return to him. I, there are a lot of questions there, but um, I don't want to uh, you know, drag oh, on for none. too long. Bar Sorry? none. Bar none. Best organizer uh, uh, who had MP after his name in modern memory. Uh, tireless. Uh, you know, Nigel Wright, former chief of staff to, to Stephen Harper and one of the most honorable people I know. You know, when you're ever in a room with Nigel, a lot of people laud, you know, Nigel is brilliant. Nigel has abilities that few other have. And Nigel will often correct you and say, no, my ability is that I can sit uh, in a, at a desk in a chair for 20 hours straight and retain focus, which is something few other people can do. Patrick Brown has that ability for political organizing. Uh, very, lots of people in politics talk about working a 16-hour day or a 20-hour day. Patrick can do it. Uh, and he has a Rolodex of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that he has never let atrophy. He does well personally as an MP what most electeds franchise out uh, to campaign folks and others. And he is so formidable. Uh, I, I would guess if we were in Polyev war room today, their modeling uh, pays very little attention to Sheree, pays almost all of its attention to Brown, and, and thirdly, pays attention to how many more. Because the more candidates in mm -hmm. the race, the harder yeah. it is to win on Absolutely. the first ballot. The shape of this race is dictated by the size of this race. Yeah. Well, it Anybody remembers the Ontario uh, PC leadership, Patrick Brown wasn't a well-known MP at the time, and he did really well against Christine Elliott, who a lot of people thought was just going to be easily elected and, and wasn't even that close. So um, clearly he has that, he has, he has proof that he can do that, right? And your second nerd nugget of the day, I can't just give them all the chat, is Patrick Brown, if I recall correctly, was the PC youth, one of the last PC youth presidents when Josh Ray was the leader of the Conservative Party. So there's all, as there always is in the Conservative Party, tangled webs all over the place. 
Uh, just to uh, maybe we can just uh, wrap up with this segment and and uh, move on to the end. Uh, but uh, before we do that, we have heard Peter McKay, Tasha Carradine said she was looking at it. Uh, any thoughts on whether either of those two run? And if they do, uh, Chad, do, do either of them have a chance? Tasha Carradine was the PC youth president that preceded Patrick Brown. That's right. That's right. And proceeded to steal the 1996 Winnipeg Policy Convention from the leader uh, with her top 10 list. Um uh, aided and abetted by many friends of, of Tim and I, uh, to go really far back. Um, look, you know, for Peter to get in the race, it's a tough choice. My guess is Peter getting in the race has more to do with settling the debt from the last race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, it's, it's a, um, it's a run to place, um, uh, not run to win. Um, I'd be more interested is Leslie Lewis getting in. Um, The other internal party dynamic that I think mainstream punditry is missing because um, Pierre Polyev has hardwired this high pitched noise that gets emitted from him that only people who aren't conservative hear and it drives them insane every time he's in front of them. Justin Trudeau has a similar high pitched Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sound that emits from him. the mainstream audience that's non-conservative is overreading Pierre's social conservatism. Uh, for instance, Campaign Life is not endorsing Pierre Polyev. Exactly. Pierre Polyev is going to have people running to the right of him. So while outsiders are saying he's an extreme right winger, that won't be the case in the party. And if we want to posit a crazy theory, if you were saying, I want to get involved in the conservative race and model the sheer race and the O'Toole race, why wouldn't you take a combo of the Bernier and the Trost campaign and run to win just by bringing PPC voters back in? Mm-hmm. There's enough of them. Uh, and they're maybe even more motivated than conservative voters. The most interesting and destabilizing part of this race may occur to the right of Pierre Polyev with more than one candidate. Yeah, I, I think I, on, on McKay, I don't think Peter will do it. I think, again, uh, he, given the debt and uh, the life he's trying to build for himself and his family in Nova Scotia right now, I don't, there are certainly people who have called Peter and encouraged him, but I don't get the sense that is real. I agree with um, Chad on Leslie Lewis, could be a real interesting candidate. I, I'm sure we've all heard rumors and suggestions that there may be some deal in the works already between Pierre and, and Lewis for her not to run and giving her a high profile role. Again, that seems to be uh, part of the Ottawa speculative uh, mill at the moment, but we'll see how that plays out. And there is always a mystery candidate. I mean, whether that be the wonderful Mr. O'Leary, who's still also paying off his debt or, or somebody else. I mean, we had, didn't we have Rick Patterson before? It was an interesting sort of candidate. Uh, whether somebody like that appears again, is it further to the right? There's bizarre social media speculation. So can you even say all that yeah, without well, it being I, oxymoronic people, that Max would, you know, Bernier might enter the race. So it gets down people, to these silly and absurd. Sorry, Chad, go ahead. I've heard people posit, look, there's a there's a, a groundswell of people across the country who want Tim Powers to run. Or nationally. And, you know, those people... The draft powers movement uh, has the signs printed. Uh, <laughs> the team is ready. Yeah. Um, so we could be, there could be an exclusive kind of looming. Just oh, mate, no. Soft launch of the Tim Powers campaign. On the, on on the, the wrist, when we talk about unicorns and eugenics. There you go. There you go. Yes. All right. Well, you know, there's still lots to talk about in this leadership race. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to you guys again. I don't know when we'll get back together. Maybe 
when uh, Jean Charest goes in, goes out, Patrick Brown, who knows, uh, but Chad and Tim, uh, really appreciate you coming on and uh, really looking forward to chatting again with you throughout this race. Thank you. Th- I look forward to the emails. I always learn something. Uh, th- thanks for what you're doing, Eric. Thanks again to Chad Rogers and Tim Powers for coming on the show. That'll be it for the RIT podcast. If you do like it, please share it widely, give it a rating or review, or better yet, subscribe to the RIT.ca if you aren't already a subscriber. Okay, that's it for this week. Keep safe, and thanks for listening.